Morning, guys. Uh, so, as you know, that we are in the middle of our Luke series. Uh, we are in an unhurried journey, seeking to see and savior our Lord Jesus Christ in the pages of Luke. Uh, and this morning, I come with a very big warning. It is a real warning, right? Usually, if you're honest with yourself, if you're like me, these things stress you out. They are hard to get through. It's names of lists. It's lists of names upon lists of names. And you pull your hair out wondering, what's the point? As we go through our Bible reading plan as well, you, you would have seen in some way another genealogy. And you're like, oh, it's a list of names. What do I do with this? These can be make you or break you moments in the Bible. I know this personally because I've tried to start a Bible in a year uh, reading plan. And actually, as I started hitting Genesis 5, bah! guess what? Genealogy. It's a list of names upon a list of names. Whose son going to whose son again? They can make you feel stuck. They can make you feel like you want to quit or skip right ahead, right? But this morning I want to say, please don't tap out yet. Journey with me. It's actually a lighter genealogy than usual. I actually struggled until I saw the genealogies as a treasure hunt. I remember the very genealogy I was stuck in, in Genesis 5. I started to look at what they were saying about these various characters. And soon I started to see what God intended by putting those genealogies there. So have a positive view towards genealogies. As a fellow struggler, that's my tip. <laughs> Look at the treasures beneath the names and the lists. So let's, let's jump in and read. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23 to 38, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. It reads... Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. I relate to this. I'm about to turn 30, so I'm like, oh, Jesus, I understand. <laughs> Being the son, as was supposed, of, G of Joseph, and the son of Heli, the son of Methet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jenai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezlai, the son of Negai, the son of Meth, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josesh, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zezan, the son of Al-Medam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikiam, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Methatet, Matmat, that's this name, Matha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jez, the son of Obed, the son of Bohez, the son of Salah, the son of Nahashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ani, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the son of Abraham, the son of uh, Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serag, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eba, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Aphexed, the son of Shem, the son of 
Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleh, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> if you don't like reading genealogies, at least that was a bit of entertainment. So one of the things that you should do when it comes to genealogies is actually recognize names. So anyone who's Jewish of descent would have known the Old Testament and would have had some sort. So actually, this is why it's important for all of us to go to the Bible reading plan, because actually it helps us go deeper and have deeper roots and understanding who all these people are. All these people are in the Old Testament they've written about, and we get to know about them as we read. So actually... Recognizing names is important. But I wanted to say this for the young people. I don't know if you noticed this name. Amina Dab. Did you see that? Did you see that? You didn't. Dab, right? Actually, young people, the Bible can be cool. Right? I've been trying to tell you this for a couple of months now. So you should get it by now. His name actually means my people are noble, which is a great name, but that's a side note, right? So I, wanna, I want us to dig into the reality of this genealogy in Luke. This genealogy is particularly light because you saw, we just went through name after name after name, nothing interesting in the middle of anything. So there's less gems in here, but I want to say there's a couple of few diamonds that you want to grasp as we go through this. So Luke as you know him, a scholar, a physician in trade, uses a Greek form of record. This record actually doesn't have any ladies, as you can see, because the Greeks were very, very uh, anti-woman, clearly. But he points out something interesting about Joseph here. He says Joseph is supposed father. That's odd, right? But if you've been tracking with us, you understand why he would say such a thing. Because we know that Jesus is actually son of God. Mary was actually, uh, the Holy Spirit came over Mary and she conceived Jesus. So <laughs> Joseph in himself is not blood bound to Jesus, so to speak. The second thing that's very interesting is actually that the second name listed after Joseph is actually not Joseph's father. It's Mary's father, Heli. Now, that's interesting. Why would, why would he do that? It's because legally, for the Roman genealogical list, it would require men, right? As I said, they did not regard ladies much. And so they would put, tack on Joseph's name, and Luke rightfully says, hey, supposed father, because the following name becomes the name of Heli. Read correctly would be Jesus, son of Mary, daughter of Heli. And so I want to show you just an image so to give you a bit of an idea of what, 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 what I'm talking about. So there's two sets of genealogies that we see in two different Gospels. So if you look at the Gospel of Matthew and you look at the Gospel of, of, of Luke, they have two sets of genealogies and with different lists of names. So for the genealogy of Matthew, you'd see on the left Joseph there, you see his father is Jacob and he has a long list leading up to Jeconiah who actually his other name is Jehoachin, uh, going all the way up to Solomon, leading up to David. 
And in fact, Matthew uses that as an argument to say, listen, Jesus is Jew of Jews and is worthy to be called king, according to the line of David through Solomon. And if you remember a prophecy that uh, 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 God gives to David regarding Solomon, in fact, regarding Jesus, is that the scepter of rulership will never depart from him. And in fact, you see through the line that Jesus ultimately is linked to David. But guess what? There's a time where this guy, Jeconiah, messes up big time and God cuts off the line of Solomon from ever ruling. So the promise seems thwarted for a moment until you read the right side of the genealogy and you realize that Mary has her line across all the way to David. remains king in the line of David. So whether Matthew trying to uh, make sure that they see him as Jew, or actually we see Mary having her line in the line of David, the promise about David's line stays true. And you see that in genealogies. So why is it important that I highlight these things? It's important because actually this tells us something about this Jesus. It gives us the backdrop and the history of who he is. And I love that. Genealogies always leave us um, amazed at how crazy this record-keeping happens to a point where you, you go outside of the Bible and you'll see the wonder of how these facts are true. But I want to move us along from your genealogies, but I want to give you a couple of things that you should hold on to regarding genealogies so that next time you stumble upon a, name, a, a list of names, you, you don't get bored again. But instead, you mine for those gems. So these are the five things. Genealogies teach us that our faith is rooted in history. It's not a fictional faith. We're not believing in an airy-fairy idea that comes from someone's head here. We actually believe in historic truth that God has rooted into the very fabric of time from the beginning, as you saw, Adam, son of God, till this very point. Number two, God is sovereign. You see, whether through Solomon or Nathan comes the line of, 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 of Jesus, God makes sure that you cannot do anything to thwart his plans and his ways. In fact, his sovereignty is etched deep into this very genealogy. Number three, God is orderly. It's amazing that we see list upon list and you're just like, all scripture is God-breathed? Yes, God intended for those lists to be there for you and for me, for, for us to understand something about God. God is not chaotic in his nature. He's rather orderly and in fact, there's a particular list that God keeps in heaven, kept in a record called the Lamb's Book of Life. There's a list, God recording each and every one of us who would put our faith in Jesus and would have eternal life in him. We're sealed in that book, and it's assured of us. So you better love it when God puts lists on. Number four, God knows your name. He knows their names and stories. And guess what? He knows yours, and he knows your story. Number five, salvation is for all. This genealogy teaches us that the work of salvation is for all of humanity, not just Jews, 
but also Gentiles. You see, uh, Matthew's genealogy states names up until Abraham, which is the Jewish line. But Luke does something amazing. He goes back and says, actually, this goes all the way through to Adam. And guess what? Adam, son of God, that means Adam had no other father before him. And that means that there was no other human besides Adam first. And that means if you are human, you come from Adam. And so the story of salvation is not just for the Jewish line, but it's for all of humanity. All of that from just one genealogy. So all of Scripture is God-breathed, and that includes genealogies. So dig in. Now for our main feast. <laughs> you thought I was done. <laughs> so one thing that you should notice in the genealogy is the name God, right? After all, main character of the Bible, pretty much consistent character in the Bible. But it's odd that he's listed as part of a name, of the list of names with human beings. This is weird, right? You should pick that up. And at the end, which is actually the beginning of the genealogy, because you've got to flip it upside down, right? He's moving from Jesus, and he's moving all the way straight to the end. So actually at the beginning, what you see is that God himself is the source of all existence, and all existence is for him. From him, all things from, from him are all things, and all things are to him. All the families of the earth come from him. In fact, Paul says the same, echoes the same notion in Ephesians 3.15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for from whom every family in heaven or on earth is named. And the genealogy proves that to us. But we must explore this concept of how is this genealogy recording God as father to Adam? What does it mean? You see, Adam, like you and I, was formed and purposed for one thing. To showcase God's glory. He was to image God. He was to represent God here on earth. If you saw Adam, you would have seen him expressing who God is in nature. And you would know how God is. You see, Adam was not God himself, but he embodied the nature of God. God is not clay, nor did he need breath breathed into him for him to come alive. Adam did. And this keeps Adam humble, something special above all the other creatures that God had made. And that purpose was for him to be in the likeness of God. To bear his image. To represent God here on earth. But guess what? That doesn't happen unless a second thing happens. Unless Adam in some way relates to God. One of the most amazing things for me that's recorded in Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve would experience God walking. So his presence would be among them and he would be walking in the garden in the coolness of day with them. How sweet would that experience ever be? And it hits me because I'm like, wow. So it's possible to relate with God on that level. Because if it was possible for him, he's the prototype human, right? He is, if anything, truly human. 
And part of that is actually he can never express who God is unless he is related to God in some way. And in fact, Adam walked and talked with God. He would glean from the wisdom of God so that he would be able to express who God is. So relationship with God is pivotal for us to be and to live out what God has purposed us to be. If you are not related to God in any way, if you don't have a relationship with God in any way, you lose out on expressing who God is. To be truly human is to relate to God, not just merely created by God. And this expression, walked with God, is used throughout Scripture as a way to show us what it means for people to express God's heart God's deeds and God's words. They lived obedient and humble lives before God and God delighted in this. For instance, Enoch in Genesis 5.24, it says he walked with God. Noah in Genesis 6.9 says Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Abraham, Genesis 17.1 says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So the notion of walking with God is nothing new. We know it in the New Testament, right? Walk in step with the Spirit. We, we've preached this in our, 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 our Galatians series not, not so long ago. It's the idea that we ought to relate with God in such a clear way that it seems like our journey and our stepping and our walking and our being resembles us walking alongside Him. So walking with God is essential. Relating to God is essential to our purpose in life. I want to pose to you that actually that is what it looks like to be truly human. That is actually what it looks like to be truly human. Adam and Eve and his wife got, got kicked out of the garden. Why? Precisely for violating that. For veering away from taking on God's wisdom, relating to God, thus showcasing God's wisdom, but instead decided to take on their own devices. And in fact, they ceased to relate to God in a way at that point, because the garden was now closed off to them, and they were shunned, and they were outside of the garden of the presence of God, walking in the coolness of day with God anymore. And that was the beginning of our problems and thinking, God, I know what this feels like. Have you ever sat alone and thinking, God, where are you? Why does it feel like you're far away? This is the problem of sin, friends. And in fact, sin never looks like God. Whenever we're separated from God's way of thinking and God's way, we find ourselves lost. In fact, our humanness is lost in that. We're not in right standing with God. We don't walk humbly before God. Sin is forever before us. We fail to embody what it means to be truly human. If to showcase God's nature takes relationship with Him, without relationship, we cannot showcase his nature. So 
So if we fail to be truly human, that means we fail to be truly children of God. And that's a sad reality. Adam and all his descendants have essentially regressed. So that's me and you, right? We've regressed from being true son or true children to merely humans created by God. We are created yet not expressing God through relationship. See, being the image of God does not bring unrighteousness and sin. But choosing to not relate to God in the right way does. So, but in the genealogy as well, we don't only see Adam and his relation to God. And we've just spoken about the brokenness of that relationship and the separation. But we see at the top of the list, Jesus. See, although our separation from God by Adam has been true for all of humanity up till now, Jesus broke that category. Adam had lost it. In fact, you and I have an expression that we often use. Have you ever heard when somebody has disappointed a loved one or really just haven't done so great? And you'll just say, yeah, I'm only human after all. That's the expression we use, right? Ash, yeah, no, I make mistakes. I'm, I'm only human. But is it true? Because if God is the one who set the benchmark for what it means to be truly human, walking in step with God, then surely that expression is flawed. If anything, you are foreign to yourself. You don't even recognize who you truly need to be. Because being truly human is something that God had tailored for himself. In fact, Psalm 8 is one, one, one great psalm that actually expresses what it means to be human, but also expresses something that is odd, that God somehow hasn't given up on us. So as we read Psalm 8 verse 4, it says, God has not given up on us yet. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Okay, God has not given up on us. It's not part of the scripture. Sorry. <laughs> it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man God's in for him. But it doesn't stop there as to God's intentional attention towards the son of man, which means humanity. It carries on, right, verse 5 and 6, and says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. This is the same thing that God actually says in Genesis of us as humans. We are to have dominion over the works of his hands. But how do we do this? if we are flawed in the way that we've expressed. One of the things that we'll see a lot in the book of Luke is Jesus and his favorite name for himself, which oddly enough is the Son of Man. And in Psalm 5, we've just read that actually, what is the Son of Man that you are mindful of him? 
Why would Jesus give himself such a title? If anything, he's relating himself to us who are flawed in so many ways. But he's doing something bigger. He's actually referring to himself as part of a prophetic word given to Daniel, who didn't even understand what was going on at the time when he tried to find an interpretation. So if you read Daniel 7, chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, they came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, what Jesus is doing, he's placing ourselves, himself in the position that we are meant to be in. The position that we long left by denying to sit, walk, and talk with God, gleaning from his wisdom and relating to him in such a way that we would express what it means to be truly human, those who bear the image of God. And Jesus places himself squarely there. The whole idea is that actually God himself, clothing himself in flesh to resemble us, the sons of men, failed in the call so that he would show us what it means to be truly human and truly sons of God. Jesus takes on the role of this prophecy, and the genealogy actually exposes that, especially because it breaks up Joseph and Jesus. He's merely supposed father. That means his link is direct to the father, God. Because if you know any measure of biology, there is no way that Mary, having carried Jesus in her belly, could have produced Jesus in any way. Because it takes two to carry a baby. So Jesus in himself finds his direct link to the Father, God. In fact, in Colossians 1 verse 15, it says precisely this. Just the first bit, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is. He doesn't just resemble, he is the image of the invisible God. Not in the same sense that we are simply because he is God, but in fact he clothed himself with flesh of our existence. We were meant to do in the Garden of Eden and for all of our existence, which is to showcase who God is in his glory, in his words, in his deeds, and in his heart. One of the things that we, we get the great joy of hearing from, from, from Rob next week, preaching about uh, the, the temptation of Jesus. And we get to see Jesus actually fully express what it looks like to live in the wisdom of God and make choices in line of that. But guess what? Jesus doesn't just merely water away temptations. He does so because he's in such a deep and intentional relationship with the Father. The Gospels show us many times that Jesus would retreat to go be alone with his father. Simply for the fact that the relationship that he has with him is displaying to us how we were meant to be with God. 
and in turn be able to be the image of God. So now it comes to us. Adam, Jesus, what about us? Are we sons merely or true sons? Are we children of God merely or are we true children of God? If Jesus has already done the job, where does that leave us? If he's filled the role of being truly what the image of Psalm 8 is, son of man, but actually having dominion and working out the purposes of God on the earth and showcasing who God is, where does that leave us? I want to read two scriptures that I feel encompass this idea. And then we'll look at what does that mean for us before we come to a close. Firstly, this is Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for, an unrighte- for, a, for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, the key there is, yes, Jesus dying, but dying to achieve something. He's dying to achieve reconciliation between us and God. Remember the lost relationship? That lost relationship that breaks us apart from being able to actually live out what God has purposed us to do is so pivotal that Christ had to die to reconcile us so that we can live that out again. So in fact, if you are just merely in Adam, you were created, yes, And we're purposed, yes, to be truly son and truly child of God. But because of sin, we became not truly human. And the breaking of relationship meant that we couldn't fully embody that. But the second scripture says this. Therefore, if anyone, this is 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is the new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, right? Their breaking of relationship and trust with him against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be 
reconciled to God. So the second scripture is teaching us this, that something needs to change in us. That our old form that God had created us in somehow needs a reformatting. We need to become new creations. Born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3. And in fact, from our rebirth in Jesus, we become true human. And from his reconciliation, which is what he paid for on the cross, which is what he paid for on the cross, he bought our relationship with God. And that's pivotal because that's actually how we come back to our true form. So before I end, I want to share a story. There's a story that I once heard shared by PJ, who's the leader of, our advan- of the Advanced Network uh, Movement of Churches. And it's a story of a young boy who creates a boat or makes a boat. I don't know if, you, if you've ever played with one of these where you just make a boat, whether it's by paper or you just put sticks together that just resemble a boat and you would play with it on the water, just let it uh, sail across. And this boy had created a nice boat for himself and he was playing with it. And one day, as he was playing, it somehow ended up downstream and he could never find it again. But days later, weeks later, or months later, he comes into town and he peers through one of the windows of the shops and sees, whoa, that's, that's, I, know, I recognize that boat. I made it. It's mine. So he goes into the shop and speaks to the shop owner and says, shop owner, listen, I, I lost this boat a couple of months ago. It's mine. Can I have it? Shopona says, hmm, no. But I'll tell you what. I'll give you three months. Go away. Save up. And if you come back with the money, then I'll, I'll give the boat to you. So the boy, loving the boat as he does, he goes away, uh, scraps away at the coins that he could find, works hard to make sure that he has accumulated the money necessary to acquire the boat, and so enters into the shop. And hands the money to the shop, shop owner. The shop owner hands the boat to him. This young boy, you could always hear it under his breath, holding this boat, saying, hey, I miss you. I made you. And now I have bought you. You are mine twice over. I created you. And now I have bought you. And essentially, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jesus has done for me and you. We were made, created by him to start with for his purposes. And yet sin had stolen that away from us, the relational link that we had. And by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he has now reconciled us to himself. So two things. If you're a believer in Jesus, it's obvious you have been reconciled. You have now not only become created merely son, merely child, but you have been newly created and now you are truly son because you have the relational link and you have this desire to live 
for God in all his purposes in your life. But the reality is, it's a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard. But God is restoring us, friends. Won't you trust in Jesus? Won't you look at the reflection? Jesus actually gave us such a good example to live by. Won't we go through the pages of the Bible again and discover what it looks like to be truly son of God? And if you're not a believer here today, maybe you're exploring or you're trying to find out a bit more about who God is. Doesn't it feel like it? Doesn't it feel like, in a sense, you have lost your true human sense? Doesn't it feel like you need something out of, outside of yourself to intervene? I want to say to you, God has already done that for you. Why don't you just welcome him? Come find out a bit more about who he is, what he has done. And in that, you too can be restored to true son and true child of God. So we have communion elements, and by way of response, I would like us to all stand. We'll grab the elements, and I'll lead us through communion. Kanye so earlier brought a word from Psalm 19, and it resonated with me, and I, I thought actually we appropriate even for this moment. It says that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The link here is that at some point, our words, the meditations of our hearts were contrary to God. We're nowhere near acceptable to God. But in Jesus, our rock and redeemer, he has made it so that whatever we think and feel, however we, th- we view life and however we walk, would be in line with God. And Christ, when he instituted this meal, He was saying, actually, this would be so that you may remember what I've done. Remember created, but actually he bought us with this very price. So that he would renew us from within. And now we would have the opportunity to say, the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, would be acceptable before God. And indeed they are because of Jesus. So as we take the elements of communion, Let's think on Jesus and what he has done for us. And as we accept what he has done, we in turn may be accepted before God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you've done for us. 
it's clear, Father Lord, that we can think that your word sometimes is dull and boring because of lists like these. But thanks be to you, Father Lord, for the revelation of the Spirit who teaches us to see your word. Our eyes are opened and we start to see the oracles of God tethered in the pages. And so, Father Lord, we pray that as you have transformed us from within, as we assess the words of our mouth, as we assess what, heart, what, 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 is, what is in our hearts, we may see nothing but what is pleasing to you. We want to continue, God, through our looking to you, Jesus, to make us righteous. Build right-standing relationship with you in every turn, my God. Dispel all the darkness that lurks in our hearts. And make us truly sons of God. Thank you. Amen. Let's call Gareth to come and close for us. To close, I thought uh, it was such a profound thing that Selah shared with us about how sometimes we use I'm just human as an excuse for how we're living, but actually when we are living in sin, we're actually not being how God's made us to be. And I want to really encourage you, maybe you've come with something in your life that you aren't proud of, or maybe God's just put his finger on something and you'd value some prayer. We don't want you to leave in the same way. This uh, symbolic meal that we just celebrated is the, 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 the glorious good news that we can be forgiven of our sin and that we can become truly human again as God forgives us. And so actually I was made to represent and to reflect the image of God, which is what we've heard this morning. Amen. What a wonderful time to be together. Uh, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity we've got over tea and coffee to greet one another. Uh, so lovely to, to be in the room together. So why don't you do that as we, uh, as we close now? And if you would value prayer, I'll stay up at the front. There'll be some other people who will stay up at the front. And if you'd value prayer, we'd love to pray for you. But God bless you. Thank you for coming. If you want a Bible reading plan, go grab one at the info table. If you want to grab a book or one of the books that were reviewed, I've got one under my seat uh, here that, uh, that I reviewed this morning. I want to encourage you to do that. Go check out the library. We'll see you soon. God bless you.